You're listening to The Blaze Radio Network, on demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. This is The Bonfire on the Blaze Radio Network. This is The Bonfire. Thank you for tuning in this week. We got a good show today because, well, when I say we, I mean me. Let's just be fair. Let's be clear, believe me, tremendous, it's tremendous, believe me, that we had a good range of topics today. First segment here, a movie review. And it just came out, so you need to go see it. And then the B block and the C and the D, yeah, variety of topics, all good stuff, if you ask me. Here we go. Arrival. Yes, Arrival came out uh, this weekend, as you're listening to this, hopefully, on uh, November 11th. I saw it Thursday night. So the night before, and they do that a lot now. Instead of having the midnight premieres of movies, which I'd done those in the past, and that was all you could do on a Thursday night if you wanted to try to beat the crowds, you'd have to see it at midnight. Well, now what they're starting to do, at least in recent years, is they'll have a showing at like 7 o'clock, and then maybe one more around 10 or something like that before they call it a day. And then the movie's officially released the following morning on a Friday. So that's what I do now, is I'll try to go Thursday evenings to see it, because if the movie piqued my interest enough, I don't want to wait. And I like to be able to go see it so that I have my thoughts and opinions about the movie on the day it comes out, so I can go and tell people, hey, it just came out today, you should go see it. Or, don't go see it. In this case, the movie Arrival, with Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, is an excellent movie. It is bonfire approved. Um, I might write a, uh, an article later. We'll see if I have time to do that because I am currently at work doing this on a Friday morning, which I never do because it's usually too late. But I thought I'd give it a shot and say, all right, let's quickly give a review and then edit it and send it off on its way so that everything is released on time. Yeah, so Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, Forrest Whitaker. It's a pretty solid movie because I had expectations going into it thinking, oh, okay, it's probably going to be maybe something like this. And then you watch it and think, whoa, yeah, that was not what I was expecting at all. But that's in a good way. To me, it was original. And I'm looking here at the numbers. It says 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and and 8.5 out of 10 on IMDb. And those are two pretty good, you know, general metrics. Rotten Tomatoes is a pretty good site for gauging public and the critics' interest in a movie and how it rates among others. So... I'd seen trailers that were highlighting that, saying, 
This movie, Arrival, has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, meaning it's very fresh. It's very original. It's worth seeing. I'm going to have to go see it again because there was enough in the movie that I thought I caught, but I'm going to have to go back and check and make sure, okay, so that made sense there, and then this was over here, and then that connected over there. Yeah, so it's worth, I would say, at least two viewings. And that's pretty rare that I say that about a movie, that it's that good, it's that entertaining, but also that deep that you think, i I got to go back and see it again because there was enough for me to digest. I have to go through it again. There's a lot of movies that are just so bare and plain. You see it once and think, all right, I got the whole gist. I know exactly what happened, and it was okay. Not with this. Arrival, I was tremendously, tremendous, believe me, very impressed. Excuse me. (laughs) And kind of dumbfounded sometimes. So like I said, got to go see it again to kind of hammer home some of these points. I enjoyed the music. Something that I'm always giving in my movie reviews is, well, generally the music. The music does play an important part. And the general feel of this movie was very Inception-like. This wasn't directed by Christopher Nolan. Directed by Denis Villeneuve. I don't know. Never heard of him before. But I think he did a good job. The score, the music was great. I thought it was appropriate. And it's like it's a good soundtrack. It's the kind of soundtrack that I would listen to while I'm reading a book, something like that. And those are those are the good good soundtracks. Gladiator, Batman, Contagion, Last Samurai, Braveheart, etc. It goes on. And in this movie, it's about aliens that show up on planet Earth and first contact, and everybody's kinda like, uh, what's going on here? We need to go talk to them. And that is the plot just trying to talk to the aliens. There are any number of movies where they try to do first contact and it immediately involves or uh, devolves into war and fighting and all sorts of action or miscommunications. Yeah, okay. This movie was more focused on just the linguistics, which I thought was interesting. I said, okay, this is great. This is a different movie. There was action in it, for sure, but I was more drawn in by the language barrier, thinking like, you know what? What if there were aliens? What the heck would we do? How would you even start the process of wondering, why are you here? What's going on? It's not like Star Trek with universal translators. Oh, hi. Uh, it's nice to see you. Oh, you understand me. Of course I do. No, nothing like that. That seems a little more realistic. So I appreciated it. And it was interesting. I like uh, I like words. I'm not a philologist like uh, Tolkien or C.S. Lewis an English, you know, master, genius. But I do take my words very seriously. When I open my mouth, I usually like to think before I speak. I don't ramble. I try not to ramble. So in this movie, when it's all about words and definitions, linguistics, it was interesting. Something that I don't normally see in a movie. So it was it was well written as well. Not the uh, not just the uh, script, but the screenplay, like the actual dialogue. And um, the plot, like I said, it was original. Apparently, it's based, it's adapted from a story called Story of Your Life. A short story written around 2000, I believe. Yes. 1999, 2000. Written by Ted Chiang. Story of Your Life. And that is what Arrival was based on. And it's about this mom who is trying to establish the first contact with those aliens. Like, the military called her up and said, look, you're the best in the in the world at this kind of stuff, at least the best in America. One of them landed here in Montana. We need you to kind of go and try to 
understand these aliens and communicate with them. And during the whole time, she's having memories and dreams about her daughter and how her she lost her daughter because she died of cancer. And she's grappling with her own emotional problems as well as trying to deal with what the hell's going on right here in front of her with all these aliens. So it was interesting and it kept me on my toes, even though it was late at night and I was exhausted. <laughs> it made me think, I got to keep paying attention because I could miss something and then I'm probably not going to understand anything that follows. I like those kinds of movies that keep you engaged instead of like, well, I know what's going to happen next. Oh, yeah, it's going to be this. Uh. I don't know. Maybe it's a gift. Maybe it's a curse that I'm usually pretty ignorant when I'm watching a movie. I will not see things coming. I'm not very good at that. I don't predict plots and twists very well. Like I said, that's a gift or a curse. So it kept my attention. Good music. Good acting. Good story. Originality, which I'm always asking Hollywood to do. Give me something original. And yes, okay, this was adapted from a story. It wasn't an original movie piece written by someone. But I'd never heard of that story before, so now I want to go read it. That sounds like a good little book. But at least you made it into a movie that I mean, I've never had this concept before, okay? We've all seen movies where it's like, good versus evil. Um, someone's family is killed, so he has to go back for vengeance. And, uh, you know, it's uh, the military. It's uh, us versus them. And uh, there's murder mysteries. Okay. It gets derivative at some point. You think, all right, well, I've seen this before. You just repackaged it with a couple new characters, and it was in a different setting. All right. But not this. Arrival was different enough that I thought, oh, okay. New concept. First contact with aliens, which is a novel idea on its own, but choosing to say, well, look, let's just focus on the movie on communicating, not just between fellow human beings, but these aliens, and saying, what are we doing here? And that was what the whole movie revolved around. I enjoyed it. Bonfire recommended. Highly recommended. Go see Arrival this weekend. This is the Bonfire on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and, and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. The Bonfire. Here's your host, Andrew Herzog. Here's a little something I want to share this week in light of some possible uh, events in the news that happened earlier this week. I wrote an article. Just wanted to read it for you real quick in case you didn't read it. And it's up on my Medium page. It's called Stop Bitching. Grow up already. It's time to stop acting like a child and put that brave face on. If you're having a tough day, it's a sign of maturity and grace to keep your demeanor pleasant. Anyone can have a tough day and then bitch about it. That's easy. It takes strength to keep your cool in times of stress. And that's difficult. 
But that's what you should shoot for. Maintaining peace in your life no matter what. Because everyone around you will take notice and aspire to be like you. There's nothing wrong with a little venting to someone close to you. But don't just complain for the sake of complaining. Actively seek out ways to resolve the problem, not just talk about it. Only children throw tantrums and bemoan that they are unhappy. Adults stay calm and watch their tongue. Adults set the example for others and demonstrate the proper way to handle life's stress. Of course, you can only do this if you have peace within yourself. You can't fake it till you make it here. Some self-discovery will reveal what it takes to attain some inner peace and how to share it with those around you. Granted, finding peace is one of life's most difficult endeavors, but if you find some sense of success, people will notice. Peace and order seem so rare in today's world. If you discover a little tranquility yourself, and you express that physically and emotionally to the world around you, you'll be doing your part to help make the world a little more pleasant. Don't worry. Be at peace. My words of wisdom for, for the week... And it's not just the week. This is in general. This applies to any time of your life. It was just something I was, I guess, kind of struggling with on my own personal basis. Decided to go home and write it out. That's why I write some of these things. It's sort of self-therapeutic. I've said that before here on the show, that that's why I talk about some of these issues. Also, it's kind of talking to myself. It's writing for myself putting it down on paper so I can see it in front of me and say, oh, okay, okay, I think I can understand this, and then make the emotional leap to accept it. Because I may know it mentally and say, look, don't worry. Worry doesn't do anything. It is not helping the situation at all. It's actually making it worse. And don't be a child. Don't, you know, put a your bitchy face on and just be like, Wee! and complain all the time. No, calm down, take a deep breath, be a man, be an adult, and work through it. You can do it. It's a lot easier said than done, but it certainly helps to be able to write it out and talk about it. So there you go. That's my two cents worth. Stop complaining. It's okay to vent, but look for ways to resolve it and keep that inner peace because the world around you could be burning down, but you can keep your cool, believe it or not. It's possible. Super difficult, of course, but it's possible for you to be seeing all this crap around you, you know, in the macro world. But then in the micro world, your own immediate circle and your own thoughts, your own soul, you can say, all right, I can do this. This is doable. I, I got this. I got this! The Bonfire, only on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. This is The Bonfire On Demand. Hosted by Andrew Herzog. On the Blaze Radio Network. All right, in case you haven't caught up with the latest Walking Dead, you probably should not listen to this segment. Uh, because I will be talking about any number of spoilers, depending on where you are in the series, if you even watch it, and you might want to plug your ears, because I'll tell you, <laughs> when I'm online, at my job, doing my work, I come across a lot of articles. And of course, you have some idiots who decide to write in the title 
you know, the headline, the breaking news, i.e. the spoiler. And my eyes are perusing the entire site, and I'm looking for content for, for any number of reasons, and then all of a sudden my eye catches this, and it says it right there. Oh, my gosh! Why would you say that, you idiot? You're supposed to hide it in the article. And at the very top, you write, spoilers ahead. But, you know, not everybody has that kind of common sense, believe it or not. So, with that being said, here's The Walking Dead and my thoughts. Because I'm kind of not a fan anymore. Season 1, absolutely incredible. I believe there's only four episodes. And that was when the first episode came out like Halloween. I don't know, 2012? Wait, it can't be that. Maybe it was 2010. I don't know. Well, a while ago, Halloween, first episode. The idea was it's zombies. Yes, okay. We've all seen zombie movies, and we know what they are. What could this show possibly give an offer that would be different? Well, it just threw you into it. It put you in the shoes of Rick, the sheriff, who's going about his day. Gets into uh, an accident. Actually, he gets shot. And then just kind of wakes up. And wonders, where is everybody? What's kind of going on? That's kind of new. I'd never seen that in a zombie movie before where everything seemed hunky-dory. Then he gets hurt. He gets shot. Then he kind of wakes up and says, all right, everything is still normal. And then, wait a minute, something's off here. And then, wait a minute, oh, my God, where is everybody? This is the end of the world. And then the story continues. That was a unique entry into the zombie world. You know, we'd seen movies where the, the zombies are already there. Or... You're kind of watching a family, an individual surrounded by normal human beings, slowly being exposed to some of the viruses, whatever, what have you. This was different where he was all alone, kind of wandered into the apocalypse once it had already been there for weeks, and everybody else was already dealing with it. He was like, ooh, how do I catch up? I don't really know what these walking dead are. So, season one was all about the zombies, the walking dead. Which, I mean, there is debate on who the Walking Dead is, but never mind. The Walkers, that they call them. That was what was season one. Trying to make it to the CDC. Trying to survive. Avoid these zombies. How do you kill them? What do we do? And that's what is surreal and, to me, enjoyable. And, you know, a bit of fantasy. It's an escapism. To say, wow, imagine that kind of world if, not only if you woke up into it, which is certainly shocking... But what if you watched it all happen, which uh, Shane and Lori and Carl had all experienced. We didn't really see um, yet the, the whole process, how they dealt with it in the moment and watched it happen right before their eyes. But we saw some flashbacks where they bombed, I believe it was at, uh, Atlanta. You see, ooh, ooh. So they actually watched it. That's all interesting, and it's the zombie apocalypse. Society breaks down. That's what's interesting, and that's what drew me to Walking Dead was the apocalyptic aspect of it. Eventually, season two, my favorite, where they're at the uh, the farmhouse, they meet, uh, not Daryl, um, the old man. Wow. Blanking on his name. But it's because he hasn't been here in a while. Anyway, never you mind. The farmland, the farmhouse, new, some new characters, and kind of beginning to introduce this idea of, you know, man versus man. For several episodes, it was man versus zombie, but then you have to realize, well, wait a minute, society did break down, so what about the other human beings that are still out there? Aren't they going to be a problem too? Aren't they going to try to take what we have in order to survive themselves? Yeah, sure. I'm okay with that. But what it would happen was it'd be quick. It'd be quick and easy. They ran into a couple human beings in a bar. 
the scene was maybe five, ten minutes, and Rick shot them. He killed them. He killed human beings because he realized, hmm, I don't trust these guys. They're going to try to kill us. So it's an act of self-defense, and I need to protect my fellow human beings, the people in my group. It's a very, I believe, Hobbesian, us-versus-them kind of mentality, which is, you know, interlaced throughout human history. Us versus them. It's my group versus yours. Your people are weird. You're dangerous, and we're, we're, the good, we're the good ones. You're the bad ones. Okay, that's human nature. If someone's different than you, you hate them, or you're scared, you're skeptical. Okay. There's a bit of realistic aspect to that. But still, it was very zombie-focused. You'd be worrying about the herd coming through. You'd be worried about getting bitten, about being changed. And at the end of Season 1... The uh, Jenner, the CDC guy, giving Rick some sort of secret that we don't find out till the end of season two. So, so far, like, seasons one, two, three, and four are all about finding a cure. What is really going on? Wait a minute. If you just die, you turn into a zombie? You don't have to just be bitten? If you just die of a broken neck, you're going to turn into one? Oh, we're all infected? That is all still very zombie-focused and the virus-focused. And, oh, wait, is there a cure? What can we do? Where can we travel? Where is safe to avoid these zombies? Eventually, with the governor, they then started bringing in human beings. Like, okay, now you're going to have to worry about some human beings. Okay, like I said, that's understandable. And it was still kind of enjoyable. I thought it slowed down a little bit with the governor coming in. And then it wasn't focused on the zombies anymore. That's not fun to me. Eventually, it got to the point where it became just the governor hated Rick and vice versa. And they were just trying to kill one another. They weren't trying to kill one another because it made them more safe. It just became bloodlust. Just trying to kill them. Like, hey, I hate you. I think you should die. That's not entertaining to me. That's just gross. <laughs> that's, that's intense. And that's not you know, something I want to watch on TV or read. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable. Eventually, the, uh, the governor is taken care of. And uh, what is his name? Frick, the old man. The governor kills the old man. And yes, there's certainly some emotion. And it's it cuts you deep, <laughs> no pun intended, to watch some of your favorite characters die. Not just at the hands of zombies, but at the hands of other human beings. Because you're sitting there kind of wondering, guys, why is everyone fighting and arguing? You realize the zombie apocalypse is all around you. Why can't you just get along and live together? And they do bring that up a lot. They say, look, we can survive together. We don't have to let our human nature of hate and distrust get in the way because look the world around us is gone this is a new world so are we going to rebuild or are we just going to kill one another and tear each other down and that's that that is definitely one of the themes of the show is are we surviving or are we just trying to like take advantage of other human beings well that just they've been hammering that point home for so long now for years and seasons worth the the prison the governor alexandria now it's mostly human focused where they're trying to develop characters which all right you know any show worth, worth its salt is going to try to have some character development. But when it's just developing into gang violence, which is what I'm considering it now, with Negan, and Negan just saying, hey, uh, you killed my people. Well, now I'm going to kill yours with a bat. I'm going to beat their head in, and I'm going to feel it. It's going to feel good. I'm going to get blood all over me, and I'm going to throw it in your face. I'm going to laugh, and I'm going to be happy about it. And that's just gross. Holy crap. You are a screwed-up individual. Um, I don't want to watch that on TV. You know why? Because that actually happens in the real world. Mexico, Middle East. I'm not getting political here, I'm just saying. People are brutally murdered just because, you know, the person doing it, the uh, uh, the killer, is evil. 
He screwed up. He has revenge on his mind. I know that's just a bit too real. Zombies, that ain't real. Okay? I can watch that and watch a zombie head be squished and beaten in because, you know, it's not a human being anymore. It is dead. The person that they were no longer exists. They are gone. That's one thing. And there was certainly a point where you're watching zombies be squished through a fence. Their eyes are bugging out and blood. And you're like, all right, okay. That's a little over the top. I think there's a little bit of... There should be a little, a little more balance with the violence on Walking Dead. Just my opinion. But when it comes to human beings killing human beings for seemingly sport, because I understand in several episodes where Rick felt he had to kill another human being to protect his people, I said, okay, I can understand that. Whether or not he's in the right or not, that's another issue, but I can understand in a more logical sense why Rick would be looking at this uh, prison mate who tried to kill him, stare him right in the face, pick up his gun, shoot him right in the face. And Rick doesn't blink an eye. And then the uh, other prisoner, the other uh, mm, cellmate, tried to take a swing at uh, at, uh, Rick. And he just points the gun at him and says, you better run. And he chases him outside, finds out he's surrounded by zombies. Then he locks that cellmate outside and listens to him get eaten by zombies. Okay. Yes, that's brutal, but I didn't see anything. You just heard the guy screaming. And you didn't see Rick shoot the guy's face and his face implode and... um, burst blood everywhere. You, it was the camera angle in such a way that you know, oof, man, he just shot him right in the face. He shot him in the face, not because Rick was bored, he was bloodlust, and he just felt like, yeah, I'm going to kill someone because it feels good. No. It was a reaction to saying, buddy, you just tried to kill me. I know you did. So I'm going to kill you before you do that to me because I got people relying on me. I ain't going to die. I'm going to be the last man standing. There's, That's a little more understandable. Versus Negan who says, hey, you killed all my people, my gang. I'm going to line you all up on your knees. I'm going to pick an individual and beat his head in in front of you. Oh, hey, Daryl, you just uh, decided to jump out of line. Well, that's not going to stand either. I'm just going to have to kill someone else now. Let me beat his head in. And let me point out, ooh, your eye's bugging out, Glenn. Wow, I hit you really hard. This is gross. Hey, talk to your wife over there. Hey, this is torture. I'm going to do it. That's a bit too far. That is no longer entertaining to me. You've gotten completely off the zombie track. Okay. I have not read the comic books. I don't know how it started, how it ends, or any of that crap. Eh, whatever. Um, but as a general viewer, I'm interested in that kind of information. Like, well, wait a minute. How did it start? And if you're not going to reveal ever because you didn't write it how things began, well, then can you maybe tell us how it ends? Is there some sense of hope and goodness rather than just this human gang violence that it has devolved into? That is what it has devolved into. And that's all it is. Let's torture Daryl in the prison. Let's uh, kill Glenn and Abraham. And let's leave them and say, hey, everything you find, it's all mine now. Uh, Negan, you don't need that to survive. Now you're just being a bully. You're being a dictator. All right, well, that's not why I started watching The Walking Dead. I wasn't looking for a human, um, not anatomy, a human character, a human nature documentary. Like, oh, what is man? And... What do they do in times of stress? No. I wanted zombies. I want you to kill zombies. I want you to survive. I want you to not plunder. I want you to go out and look for supplies when you're running low. Struggle against the elements and nature and running out of gas and always looking for the next safe haven. 
rather than just running into more and more terrible human beings who are either eating you at Terminus or slitting your throat because they're bored or whatever. Holy crap. Can we get back to the story of the virus and say, hey, is there going to be some resolution here? This is AMC I'm talking to. Don't give me 12 seasons of violent porn. How about a little more story here? Instead of finding yet another supposed sanctuary where there are just more nuts who kill more of your group, you're just in a vicious, boring cycle now. I'm like, oh, great. You think you found someone who's good, but hey, five episodes from now, he's going to rape Maggie, and then he's probably going to kill one of the blondes, and then he'll do this, and then Rick will kill him, and he'll be hurt himself, and then Carl will lose another eye, and maybe he'll lose a hand this time. Okay, then I'm bored. You're not really advancing the story. You're just deciding to jump down into the pit, stay in it for a couple seasons, and then maybe crawl out a little bit and say, all right, now we're on our way to Alexandria. Maybe there's a cure. Oh, wait, look, there's another pit. Let me go jump in there. Let's have some more violent porn, people killing one another, some violence and more violence, and maybe Maggie gets pregnant. Maybe we should kill the baby. Holy crap. (laughs) Let's get back to some escapism here and not just societal breakdown, okay? So I'm getting a little overwhelmed with societal breakdown let's get back to a little more zombie a little more zombie where we're like "Ooh, what if we had zombies that flew i don't know throw something stupid and crazy at me but at least make it a zombie then maybe you'd get my attention again and make me a general fan because right now i'm kind of not i'm getting kind of bored i don't care about what these other human beings and dictators or governors or leaders whatever you want to call them are doing with their group i want to see some let's see some action let's see if France, which is apparently important to it all, somehow makes a radio connection to Rick and says, uh, you know, like, Bonjour, uh, have you found the cure? And then you'd say, uh, what are you talking about? I'm in Alexandria. Who am I, who am I talking to? Oh, this is, this is the president. You'd say, holy crap. And then the season ends. Okay. Let's see something like that. That'd be a little more exciting. We're like, hey, let's see if there's a cure. Let's go international. There's, there's other things we can do. Then let's just delve into the pit of violence locally and leave it there and watch people die and uh, like our favorite characters die that's why it hurts because we, we do feel emotionally connected to them to a degree but just in general i don't want to watch another human being who is a stranger be kicked off a bridge strangled to death breaks his neck he's beaten he's tortured i don't want to see that okay none of us really should that ain't entertainment that's just screwed up so amc you have lost me temporarily but you have a chance to get me back if you decided to kind of write something a little less dark, I can have a little bit of dark. I watch some scary movies, okay? People know that. You know that if you listen to the show. I like my scary movies. But they do end. And there is hope. And I move on with my life. Walking Dead, you're kind of just down there in the pit. <laughs> and it's just gross and it's depressing. You think, yeah, this doesn't make me happy. Or smile. Or feel good after watching that episode. It's been pretty terrible for a while. It's been like that. I've had to psych myself up to say, all right, I'm going home tonight to catch up on the latest Walking Dead because I want to see what happens to Glenn. I want to see if he got out of the situation. I want to see what happened to all those zombies over there. I have to still prepare myself to say, this is going to be dark, a little negative. It ain't happy time. So, I'm not, I don't know. I'm just bored, kind of sick of it. I go looking for more entertaining things like uh, George Lopez and Last Man Standing, Home Improvement, Brady Bunch, whatever. Something. Walking Dead. I am walking out. This is The Bonfire on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. The problem is not that there are too few people with college degrees. The problem is that a college degree has largely been devalued in part because they're so common now. 
So that's yep. this is basic supply and demand stuff working in the economy. If everybody has a bachelor's degree, then having a bachelor's degree is no longer a, differenti- a differentiating factor between you and everybody else, right? Buck Sexton, weekdays noon to 2 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network on demand. The Bonfire. Here's your host, Andrew Herzog. All right, after that, a little bit of a negative segment involving Walking Dead and all of its violent porn. Here's something a little more a little more optimistic, a little more happy to end the uh, show with. Something that it actually came out a couple years ago, but I just found it on Twitter circulating again. It says, from, full, from Fulfillment Daily. There it is. How being soft on yourself actually makes you stronger. And here is the, uh, here's the premise. We procrastinate. We're unmotivated, we're lazy, we mistakenly believe being hard on ourselves is the only way to solve this problem. But the science says being kinder is actually the secret to greater motivation. So get an edge by boosting your self-compassion, and then you can really get some things done. So, the article says the number one reason people give for why they aren't more self-compassionate is that they're afraid that they're too soft on themselves. They'll just let themselves get away with anything. They really believe that their internal judge plays a crucial role in keeping them online and on track. In other words, they confuse self-compassion with self-indulgence. And yes, that is that is important here. You're not indulging yourself saying like, well, I, I'm fine. I can do anything. This is not a problem here. I can be lazy if I want to. You don't want to be you don't want to be too soft on yourself, yeah. But that's the self-indulgence part. Don't confuse self-compassion with self-indulgence. So self-compassion has three things being kind and caring toward yourself rather than harshly self-critical. Number two, framing imperfection in terms of the shared human experience. And number three, seeing things clearly without ignoring or exaggerating the problems. So think about it. And I've read this somewhere else too. If we are our own worst critics, for sure, because we live with ourselves. We have our, we, we're with our own thoughts all the time. So it's easy to criticize ourselves. And so you don't want to be the complete opposite. We're like, well, I never criticize myself. I'm perfect. I'm great. I'm fantastic. You got to be a little, a little common sense with it too. So you can't be harshly self-critical. Like, damn, you stupid idiot. How could you do that? You're a terrible human being. God, you're stupid. You're horrible. What are you doing for yourself there? Think about it. If somebody else, any other individual, was speaking to you the way you speak to yourself, you wouldn't take it. You'd say, bug off. You're like, get off my case. Bite me. That's what you'd say. Or you'd say, oh, you're wrong. <laughs> I know you're wrong because you're just you're going way overboard. You're calling me stupid. I'm not stupid. I get decent grades. You're calling me uh, self selfish. I'm not selfish. I, I volunteer. I do things for strangers. I help people out. You know, it's it's easy to be very, very critical of yourself, like harshly. So I've lately been thinking of it in terms of if someone else were saying the things I'm saying to myself, I would discount it, pretty much. I'd say, whoa, buddy, you need to take a chill pill. I think you're a little off base there. What am I doing? I'm not discounting him completely, saying like, hey, you are completely wrong, jackass. No, just, hey, you're, you're going overboard. You went way too far. That was way too harsh. So then I turn to myself and say, yeah, woof. calm down, Andrew. It's okay. You d- it's not the end of the world. You didn't kill anybody. You didn't make some unforgivable mistake. You can still come back from this. You can still do X. You can still do Y. Calm down. Take a deep breath. So be kind and caring toward yourself as if you were to a loved one. You know, you don't do that, or at least you shouldn't, 
to your loved ones. If they spill their milk, you know, it's that the phrase, like crying over spilled milk. You're like, how dare you spill your milk? No. You just say, mm, well, that was a waste of milk. But next time, let's put it in a plastic cup so that it, the glass doesn't break. I don't know. You, you're a little more tolerant, I think, if it's someone else. You try to put yourself in their shoes and say, okay, okay, we can do this. We can get through this. So do the same thing to yourself. Don't be so harsh on yourself. And number two, the framing the imperfection in terms of the shared human experience. You're not alone. We all make mistakes. So don't think that your imperfection is unique or that all these other people are doing so much better than you. No. A shared human experience is we're all struggling. We all have our own battles to fight. And when you screw up uh, a financial problem, guess what? Other people have too. Thousands, probably hundreds of thousands have done the same thing. So don't be so hard on yourself. As if like, oh my God, I am so stupid. How could I have possibly done that? I'm the biggest idiot in the world. Eh, No, you're not. Others have done it. Okay? So frame your problem in terms of the rest of the world. Other human beings are like you. Okay? We're We're all like that. We all do stupid things. We all make mistakes. Don't be so critical on yourself. Because you're not alone. And number three, seeing things clearly without ignoring or exaggerating the problems. Some of us are catastrophists, you could say. We say we always do the worst case scenario. We're like, holy crap, this is over. I can't believe this just happened. I'm dead. I'm gone. This is, I can't come back from this. It's easy to do. It's easy for us to find a little negative part of our day and run away with it. And then it defines the entire day. And you say, how was your day today? Oh, my God, I was trash. It was absolutely terrible. And they say, oh, tell me about it. Oh, I screwed up a project at work, and my boss said he was disappointed in me. Oh, wait, that's it? Your boss just said he was disappointed in you? Like, okay, well, uh, did you resolve the problem later? Yeah, I fixed it in the afternoon, but it was what it was the way he said it. He said he was disappointed in me. You'd say, okay, yeah, that kind of sucks, but look, that ain't, the, that ain't the end of the world. Calm down. You are over-exaggerating the problem. Take a deep breath. Go eat something. Go to bed. Call it a day. And then you're done. So it's, uh, it's not a problem. You don't want to ignore the problem either. That's just, uh, that's just being ignorant, and that's where uh, it played into earlier about being self-indulgent. If you ignore the problem, then you're just being self-indulgent, okay? So the fine line, that balance, that's what matters. Don't ignore the problem. Don't exaggerate it. Don't be so harshly self-critical, and realize that you're part of the human experience as well. Other people make mistakes. You're not alone. You can get through this, <laughs> okay? So the, the title is How Being Soft on Yourself Actually Makes You Stronger. Yeah, it's, it's thought-provoking. I'm not sure how, you know, how much veracity there is in that statement. But, yeah, calm down. There is no need to be super tough on yourself. You're, you're really not helping anything if you do that. Be a little more self-forgiving, which is difficult. It is difficult for you to think, how can I forgive myself? How can I get through this? I don't, I should know better. I know me. There is no excuse for this. Yes, there is. It's called being human. Don't be self-critical to the point that you just depress yourself. And then you go nowhere. If you do it enough, you just, you're going to paralyze yourself. And then you get nothing done. And no progress gets made. you got to at least try. That's the other thing is if you try to make progress, you are doing the right thing. you got to keep trying. There you go. Positive words of the day from the bonfire. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for tuning in. This is Andrew Herzog. Please find us on the Facebooks, the Twitters, and the Instagrams. And, of course, the main website, bonfirethoughts.com, where I am trying to write some uh, short stories, some fiction, just for fun. 
taking a stab at it. But that's how I kind of can kind of cope at the end of the day. I say, I've had a difficult day, or even hell, I've had a great day. I'm going to go home and write something because it is a form of release. Do what you got to do. If it's eating, traveling, listening to music, watching a movie, relax at the end of your day. It's fine. Spend time with loved ones, and we can all get through this. Andrew Herzog, out. This is The Bonfire on the Blaze Radio Network On Demand.